Good morning, everyone. To those that are uh, uh, at home worshiping with us, we're, we're glad you're with us and uh, our hearts are with you. And if we can help you, uh, just give us a call or drop us uh, an email. Uh, I, I appreciated the thematically the, the worship set uh, this morning, just reminding us of the sovereignty and the kindness uh, and the love of God, uh, uh, you know, towards us and, and towards our hearts. Uh, it, it's, it's hard not to uh, get emotional uh, from time to time when you remember his loving care uh, towards us and how he has his hand on, on each, one of our, each one of our lives. Um, uh, today's January 22nd, which is, you know, reflecting on God's kindness towards me personally. Uh, it's hard to escape, not... <laughs> okay, I'm the speaker here this morning. Let's get it together. Um... <laughs> uh, January 22nd, 1975, I was just a, a young guy, um, and uh, I was down at the uh, Naval Annex down in South Boston, and I had just raised my hand to uh, uh, be inducted into the Air Force, and uh, we were in a waiting area waiting for the bus uh, to go to Logan, and uh, to my first airplane air, airplane ride you know if if you grew up in medford there's a, there's only two places you go you go down the cape and you go up the white mountains and that's it you know either you go down route 3 or go up 93 but but that's all you do and uh as any townie would do there was a bunch of desks there so i was rifling through the looking at oh, i wonder what's in these drawers here <laughs> it's awful and um one drawer i had a had a whole pile of uh, these little pocket-sized green Gideon Bibles. And I, I looked at that, and, I, you know, I had grown up in church life, uh, and uh, I said, wow, a little guy, a little New Testament, you know? Usually we had the big guys, you know? The, you know, the big Bibles, you know, you could, like, you do spiritual battle with those, you know? And so I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And it went to the end, and there was this prayer of giving your life to Jesus Christ in a personal way. And I read that prayer, and my, my, my heart was warmed. And I, gosh. I pray. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. I prayed that prayer and signed my name and dated it January 22nd, 1975, and my life was changed. I got on the plane, got to Lackland, got on a bus, and, and I was, like, happy, like my life was changing. And... Uh, this enormous brute of a man with a brim hat looked at me and said, 
wipe that smile off your face. <laughs> I was like, yikes, I'm no longer in Oz. <laughs> and, and life changed from that moment onward. My first grandchild, uh, Lucas, I spent yesterday with him. He was born on, what, January 22nd. And that, like, really got my attention. God is in control of our lives. His good hand, his tender kindness and compassion is for us. And if we can step into that grace, it will change your life. And it will empower you to let go of the things that so easily entangle us. And it will allow us to run the journey of life with faith and hope in a good God who knows our name and knows the number of hairs or the lack thereof. <laughs> we have a good God. This morning we get to uh, bring to a close uh, our study in the Gospel of John. John 21, if you have your Bibles, and let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence uh, this morning and your reminder uh, to us of your sovereign care over our life, that you love us, Lord, and you're, you've sent your Holy Spirit to indwell us. You've given us your word to guide us, show us how to live life. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that this morning, Lord, that, Lord, that you would remind us that we're loved and that you would guide us with your word, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've thoroughly enjoyed the Gospel of John. John 21 has been meaningful to me personally because it's just so rich on the human side of things. And I can easily identify with Peter, not the apostle side of things, but just his, his humanity side of things and to see how the Lord worked him and how Peter responded to him. In 21, we find lifelong lessons that we see Peter being, and being where he's supposed to be and doing, where he's supposed to, doing what he's supposed to do. The angel at the tomb says, tell the disciples I'm, I'll meet them in Galilee and we find Peter there. He's waiting and he's occupying his time with something that's, that's it's practical. He's gone fishing. And I know that there's many Bible teachers that like to hammer Peter, but I can't go there because he is where he's supposed to. He is where he is supposed to be. He's doing, he's doing what is a practical way to occupy life during the, those seasons of where you're in between promises or you're in a muddle or the mission isn't clear and God finds him there. 
And that's my life. God finds me when I'm in those places. And then we see the Lord do what only he can do. They take a great haul of fish and the Lord goes on to restore Peter. Three denials, three affirmations. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And we learned last week, you know, from F.F. Bruce that we shouldn't get too hung up on John's use of synonyms and make too much about them. The fact is, is that Peter was called by Jesus to be a fisher of men. And as Bruce says, that added to the evangelist hook, Peter was affirmed and recalled by the recommissioned by the Lord and gave him a pastoral crook. And so Bruce says humorously, whether by hook or by crook, uh, Peter is to be about proclaiming the word of God. Peter's restored, and that's where we come up on our text this morning. Come there with me. We could begin, say, verse 17 for context. Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, Gnosko. You know experientially, Lord, that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Verse 19 marks a transition. And what Jesus does is he really grabs a hold of Peter and, and gets his attention. And he does that, at least in the translation that we have. We see Jesus say to him, Truly, truly, I say to you. And so Jesus is grabbing hold of Peter's attention and he's basically saying, you know, as we do to our kiddos, look, pay attention. I got, I'm, I'm going to say something important to you. you know, I did that to, to Lucas uh, yesterday. We were building, uh, and, oh no, Paul, let's just skip ahead. Put the fingers together. I said, no, that's... So to Lucas, I say, Lucas, truly, truly, I say to you, if you don't follow the directions, this ain't going to work. That's what Jesus was saying to Peter. Truly, truly, here's a newsflash, Peter, and he tells him what his new commission's going to look like. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John helps us to understand what is Jesus trying to say to Peter? John tells us in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. That Peter would go to the cross. Now, when we look at church history, there's two guys. There's Clement of Rome around the late 90s. And then there's Tertullian, which is around 2012 AD. Both Clement of Rome and Tertullian tell us Peter was crucified. It's a historical fact. But then along comes some of 
some Bible teachers who base a comment that comes out of the Acts of Peter. And in the Acts of Peter, it says, there's a narrative where Peter says, oh, I can't be crucified like this. Crucify me upside down because that's more humble to do that. The only problem with the Acts of Peter is that it's bunk. It's just a fiction, been discredited. When I think of Peter, I find it hard to believe that he would, he would call attention to himself after all that the Lord had done in his life and what we can read in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. But it is true, historically accurate, that Peter, Peter ended his life just like his Savior being crucified. If we were to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says this, except that you take up your and do what? Well, Peter did that. Peter sacrificed and followed in the steps of his Lord and Savior. The narrative continues where, where Jesus informs Peter what's going to happen to him, and then Jesus says this. He says, follow me. And when we look at the text, Jesus is walking along, and Peter is following, and who's following after Peter? John. And so they get this little, this little train thing going on. Jesus is walking. Peter's there. John's behind him. And I love this about Peter because if there's anything to mess up, if there's anywhere to go off the rails, Peter's going to find a way to do it. And so Peter's walking along. Jesus is saying, follow me. Now, Peter has just been restored. Do you love me? Feed, feed my lambs. Do you, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Sh oh, shepherd my sheep. Care for my care for my sheep. He's just been like, like he'd be like, oh Jesus, I'm never going to leave you, right? And what does Peter do? Walking along, walking along, boom. What about him? You say, you're making that up, Conway. No, it's too good. I can't make it up. Come to, look at the Bible with me. Jesus says to Peter, he says, follow me. And what does the Bible say? Peter did what? Turned. Peter turned and saw the disciple. You've got to love John. If there's, a, if there's a measure of humility in the Bible, John, just, John is just like in Peter's face all the time. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned, now this is John telling Tell, telling us about him. The one who leaned against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? What's John saying? He goes, I'm special. I'm special, Peter. I'm more special than you are. Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Verse 21. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, 
what is that to you? Follow me. Verse 23. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. And so John clarifies it. He gets rid of the, the hubbub, the, the gossip that he would never die. Now we know from church history that John does die, right? He dies where? On Patmos, right. So John helps us again. He says, So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And then verse 24, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And so John has been specific, selective about the accounts of Jesus. Why has he done that? Well, we can go to chapter 20, and he tells us, verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. And that's the end of the book. Brings it to a close. Says it's an eyewitness account says, I've been selective about the things that Jesus has done so that I could pave the path so that if you study these seven signs that Jesus did, you will arrive at the place where the Holy Spirit will use those words to bring about, to draw you to Christ so that in repentance and faith you can turn to Christ. And John brings the book to a close. And so for my last application out of the Gospel of John in chapter 21, the so what, now what part, I want to share or highlight something that will absolutely change your life. Absolutely. When Peter is walking, following Jesus, he turns and he says to John, what does he say? What about him? And what Peter is doing is he's making a comparison between his life and John's life. And when we make those comparisons in our life, we get our eyes off of Christ, we get our eyes off of the grace of God, we get our eyes off of the unique and special measure of grace that God has put in each one of our hearts and our focus instead of saying, Lord, how have you made me? How have you transformed my life? What have you called me to do? We put our eyes where? On someone else. When we compare ourselves with another person, we will fail to fulfill God's call upon our life. When we keep our eyes upon what 
the grace that God has deposited in our heart, we position ourselves to fulfill God's unique and perfect destiny for our life as an individual. And it starts, comparisons start from our, from, and, and disable us and break our hearts all the way from our family of origin, all the way up through grammar school, high school. And unless it stops, unless we, unless we say to ourselves, we can't compare ourselves, the only comparison I'm going to have is, Jesus, I want to be like you, and, and what do you want to do in my life? And how can, I, how can I access your grace to become the person that I am called to be? Remember in your family of origin? And your, your mother, your father had a favorite sibling. Oh, I wish you were like Eddie. That's not what they said. It's not what was said. I wish you were like Kathy. That's what was said. And from our very, as kiddos, our parents can disable us and break our hearts and make it very difficult to become the person that we are uniquely called to be. Then we get in, then we go in grammar school. And my grammar school was traumatic. It was, I would, I would, one time, kids are all gone, right? One time I, I hated school so much, I took a thermometer. The old school thermometers under the gas range. I said, if I just get this up a little bit, I won't be able to go to school. And I took that thermometer and I put it over the gas. And what do you think happened? the mercury broke off the tip of it and my mother threw a hissy. She went wild. Oh my God, we're going to call the police. We're going to call the ambulance. Oh, you've swallowed mercury. You're going to die. And I was like, I don't want to die. And I don't want to tell the truth. (laughs) Remember this? We had these spelling bees. Line up, line up. I was always one of the first ones that, you can sit down, Edward. Because <laughs> they never taught phonics. We had new English, and we had new math, and I was lost. Whenever we compare ourselves with another person, we are diminishing the grace of God in our own lives. When I got to high school, I had new math (laughs) and no phonics, and it was a struggle. It was a struggle math because I was confused, and it was a struggle in English because I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to spell words unless I had seen them and memorized them. There's always someone better than you in life. No matter how good you are, there's always someone that has an extra step on you. And if you 
run your life by comparing yourself to someone else, you will never accomplish what God has for you. Lord, Lord, why is Timothy six feet tall? Why couldn't you have made it equal like so I could be like 5'8 rather than 5'6? And I know I lied on my license and I said it's 5'7, but I am, you know. There's always something to compare yourself to that will disable you, will break your heart. So what do we do? What's the remedy? Well, I think the first thing, the first remedy is to recognize and understand that in each one of our hearts, God has put a deposit of his grace uniquely to each one of us. If you were to look at Romans 12.6, if you were to look at Ephesians 4.7, it says that each one of us have received a measure of grace that makes us unique and as John reminds Peter, very special. And if we could appropriate that grace, we would come to the understanding of this simple truth. No one can occupy the space that you're in other than you. You're the only person that can uniquely and completely love your spouse. You're, as if, if you're a parent, or as a grandparent, let me say parenthetically, stop messing up the kids. Anyway. <laughs> if, if you're a parent, you... you <laughs> we have a coalition of grandparents. As a parent, you, you are the one, the only one that are positionally and relationally in a place to shape and mold that life after God's heart. As a friend, you are in a place to touch your friend's heart or co-worker in a way that no one else has an opportunity to do because of the unique grace that God has placed in your heart. When Peter turned, which way was he walking? Away from the Lord. When Peter turned, what drew him away from the Lord? A comparison. But what about him? The Apostle Paul helps unlock this for us in, in, a, in a way that is extraordinary. Come with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Before we get to 1 Corinthians 15, come with me to 1 Corinthians 10 for a minute. So if you're tracking with my notes, 
1 Corinthians 10. And just note this for a minute. 1 Corinthians 10. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 10. Look at verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves, there's that word, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without what? Without wisdom. To compare ourselves with other people, there's no wisdom. There's no way to move forward with your life. So how do you do it? That brings us to our final text, which is Second Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 15. Come there with me. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. Paul writes this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. What's Paul doing? He's comparing himself to the other apostles. And what he says is that I am unworthy because I persecuted the church. I am the least of the apostles. And so what is the remedy in Paul's life that helps him move forward. It's the same remedy that we can apply in our life. Look at the text. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He disqualified himself, except verse 10 comes into play. Verse 10 is, But by the grace, but by the grace of God, say it with me, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but what? The grace of God. And so when you get in touch with and appropriate that there's a measure of grace that God has deposited in your heart, that there's a measure of God's purpose for your life, that no one else, no one else in all creation has that purpose. You say, how about a text? How about 2 Corinthians, uh, what's my problem this morning? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. That he has prepared what? Good works from where? Creation of the world for you to do what? For you to walk in them. And so what the Apostle Paul does is he appropriates the grace that God has deposited in his heart, only his heart, and he allows that grace 
to fuel his life. And what does he say? It is not I, but the grace of God. And what did that grace generate in the Apostle Paul's life? It uh, generated a desire to grow and to complete and to become the person that only Paul or Saul turned Paul could become. When Peter is walking along with the Lord and he turns and he compares himself with John, what he does is he gets his eyes off of the Lord and puts them on John and his progress stops. And it's the same way in my life and in your life. God has deposited in each one of your hearts and life a measure of grace that no one else has. And when we step into that grace and appropriate that grace, we allow God to order our life in a way that produces the best self this side of heaven that could ever be produced. Remember that Proverbs 3, 4, and 5? Trust in the Lord with all your, lean not on your, in all your ways, and he direct your path. When we compare ourselves to other people, we're no longer trusting in the grace of God to lead and guide us. When we compare ourselves to other people, we get our eyes off of Christ and we stop growing. When Peter kept his eyes on Christ, he accomplished all that God had for him and he became the person God designed him to be. My encouragement to you is keep your eyes on Christ. Keep following after him. In life, there'll always be someone that has a step on you. Have you noticed that? There's always someone that has done it a little better. And if you set your eyes on that, you will live a life with a broken heart. If you keep your eyes on Christ and on the grace that he's deposited in your life, you will accomplish great things for God because his grace is powerful. And as the Apostle Paul says, his grace was not in vain, but it produced a desire to work more for the Lord and to accomplish God's purposes. I was a young kid, went to St. Francis, didn't learn phonics, still struggle today with the right pronunciations for words. Got new math, and my mind is still a little fuzzy about math and never mind algebra. I was talking to one of my friends, Joe Perella, and I have a friend, his name's Mike. And we've done some hiking, and so 
we were catching up, and Mike goes, oh, tell me about what happened in your life, and, and where'd you go to school, and all this, and he goes, no way, no, you have a doctorate? I said, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> Comparing ourselves with someone else diminishes the special grace and God's purposes in your life. Keep your eyes on Christ. Follow after him, and he will get you to where you need to go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what's the promise? He will direct your paths. Let's prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's table this morning.